Isn't God good? In the midst of what would have otherwise been a, a crazy year, God still shows up in the midst of our transitions. And I'm so thankful for the staff team that has been here to continue to lead us through these moments of transition. Can I take just a moment again to pray for us and ask God's blessing to, to, on us today and to ask him to help us focus in these next few moments? Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, for these next few moments, can we just focus upon you? Help us put out of our mind whatever is this, our plans are for this afternoon, whatever the week ahead looks like. And for the next few moments, could we just focus on what you have to say to us? Lord, we have celebrated today because you have done great things in the life of these graduates. But Lord, we know that you're not finished with their journey. So Lord, we pray today that they would continue to walk with you. They would continue to follow you and that they would look to this church to be a place where they can see a shining example of what it means to be completely and wholeheartedly committed to you. Lord, in these next few moments, help us just to quiet our heart. Lord, help me to get out of the way. We pray that you would just speak this morning, O oh God. Speak to our hearts. May we leave here this morning, Lord, different because again, on this Sunday morning, we've encountered you. Lord, we'll give you the praise and the honor and the glory for these things. We pray in Jesus' name and of all of God's people said, amen. As I've been thinking about this morning's message, I've been wondering what would I give a graduate? What kind of gift do you give a, a generation that's grown up with smartphones, smartwatches, smart cars, and smart homes? What do you give to a generation that has pretty much every bit of information known to man at the, their fingertips if they just Google the right thing? What do you give to a generation that spends as much time online and on social media as they do IRL in real life for you old people? A recent study I read said that 49% of high school teens admit that they spend five to eight hours per day on social media or playing video games. And 13% of those same high school students said they spend nine or more hours doing that. Some of us don't work that long in a day. What do you, what do you give to that sort of generation? What do you give to the generation that if they want to talk to someone in the next room or the, around the corner or across the world and they want to see them, all they have to do is push the FaceTime button. These teens have grown up in a world different than what most of us grew up in. What do you give to a, a, a group of teens that don't know the pain of dial-up internet? who don't understand what it means to go to the card catalog and use the Dewey Decimal System to do research for a paper? What do you give to a generation that doesn't know how to type a paper or hasn't had to type a paper without spelling and grammar correction? What do you give this group? If I could give them any gift, the one gift I would give these graduates that would serve them throughout their life, a gift that they would not spend by tomorrow night, would be the gift 
of perseverance. Young people, it's not because I don't think that you know what it means to keep going. I I think you know what it means well. You've proven yourselves in perseverance when it comes to your education. You've completed that part and done well. But I want to give you graduating seniors a gift of perseverance because I believe in the church of Jesus Christ, we all need the gift of perseverance. Not only our graduates, but church, us as well. Because the world in which we live is consistently playing on our emotions, trying to cause us to rethink what we believe and what we feel. A world we live in is challenging everything we believe, and things that we were once very certain of now have been called into question. The world is consistently pulling us in one direction or another. It's calling us to want this, buy that, trust this, hope in that. The call is always for us to gather the most items, have the most friends, throw the most elaborate parties, and drive the fanciest cars. In the workplace, we're called to leverage our friendships and associations to get to the next level, to land the next big deal, to make the most money, to get the next promotion. In the world of raising children, we're challenged to raise the most athletic, best-educated, cultured, well-traveled children, all while holding on to our marriages where we see very little of each other because we're running from job to side hustle, from the ball field to the concert, from the boardroom to the next civic activity. And students get ready. If you're not already facing those kinds of pressures, they'll be in your lap very, very soon. To say that we live in a world of pressure is maybe the understatement of the week. It seems that everywhere we turn, somebody is wanting something from us, and make no mistake, they want more than our time. All of the things that we're a part of are asking for a part of who we are, a part of our hearts, a part of our allegiance. And if we're not careful, we're pressured into dividing our hearts and lives into so many pieces that we're truly committed to nothing. Because we're trying to be committed to it all. Jesus clearly interprets the first commandment for us in Matthew 22. He says to us, this is what's most important to life. He says, we must love the Lord our God with all of our heart, with all of our being, and with all of our mind. And a very close second is to love others as ourselves. Church, can I be honest with you? It's not the call of Christ that concerns me. It's our living into that call that concerns me this morning. I have to wonder in my life and in yours, if we're living out those callings well in a world that's constantly trying to get our attention, trying to get a hold of our commitments, and honestly trying to get a hold of our hearts. I'd like for you this morning to pause for a moment And consider this question. How committed are you to this faith thing? Are you sold out regardless of what it costs? To what extent are you willing to be committed to the call of God upon your life?
You see, it's easy for us to say to our young people, you should follow God, you should give Him everything, you should commit your life to Him. But let's be honest, adults. Sometimes that's hard for us to do in the world in which we live. When I look at the Old Testament, it's not hard to find people who are totally committing or committed rather to following God, doing what they've been called to without concern for their reputation, for their families, or even their own life. Think for a moment of the heroes of the Old Testament. I'm going to give you just a second. What hero comes to mind? And then I want you to ask yourself this question. How committed were they to God? Maybe someone thought of Abraham, who God said to him, give up that son that you have been waiting for all this time, Isaac. Sacrifice him. And what did Abraham do? He followed in obedience. Or God's call upon Moses' life to rescue his children from the Egyptian Pharaoh. He was put between being killed by Pharaoh's army or being drowned in the sea, the Red Sea. But what did he do? He faithfully followed God. David, King David, before he was king, but when he was just a little shepherd boy running around the hillside of of Israel, God used a little shepherd boy with a sling and a few rocks to take down a nine-foot giant. Why? Because David was the most fit? No, because he was wholeheartedly trusting in God. What about Rahab? She hid the spies so they could give the report so when it was time, the people could go up and take the city. Or what about Joshua, who was given the plan by God, a terrible military plan, by the way, to march around the city walls of Jericho to shout and blow trumpets, and the wall would fall down, and then you're to rush into the city and take the city. I don't know about you, but I'm glad God didn't call me to that. It would take a lot of faithfulness and perseverance to trust God. Or what about Daniel? He was called to stop praying to God. And so what happened to him? He's thrown into a den of hungry lions. Or Elijah staring down 700 prophets of Baal, 400 prophets of Asherah, a crazy king and a wicked queen. All he had was a simple prayer. But God showed up. God showed up. I don't know about you, but, but 1,102 to one seems not to be very good odds. And yet, the faithfulness to follow God... Gideon, facing a foreign army of great power, takes this tiny army that God had narrowed down himself and conquered. Ruth and Naomi trusted God to provide when they didn't have anyone to save them from poverty and starvation. And who could forget Queen Esther, who by making the request of the king that she did could have cost her her life. But she wasn't concerned. Or Hosea didn't care much about his reputation. He married a prostitute who, if that wasn't bad enough, her name was Gomer. Or Sarah and Hannah, 
barren women who trusted God that they would provide the children of promise. When I think about these stories, there's one characteristic that all of these folks have in common. Perseverance. Even in the darkest moments, even when things look the most bleak, when it appears there is no way out, no rescue, no chance that things could be different, they continued to follow God in the midst of that. When I see these examples of the people of God persevering, it appears to me that perseverance can be defined this way. Certainty in God's plan, a resolve to be committed in the face of hardship, and unwavering trust in God. Think about that definition for a moment. The people of God in the Old Testament knew when God had asked them to do something, and when he did, they were deeply committed to it, and they trusted God for the outcome. In other words, they didn't have a plan B. Any consideration of hedging their bets, any thoughts of a backup plan was out the window. Either God came through, or they were sunk. There's one story that I want to quickly draw our attention to this morning that I think maybe is the most clear story of perseverance and commitment in the entire Old Testament. We find it in Daniel chapter 3. If you have a Bible, you might turn there for a moment because I want you to be captured by the words that these three Hebrew children say in a moment. We come to meet these three Hebrew children who found themselves living in Babylon because of their exile from Israel. These young men are known best to us as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They find themselves living in a strange land under the heavy hand of a king by the name of Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar has erected a golden image and commands everyone to bow down and worship. If you've been in church, if you've watched VeggieTales, you know this story, right? But what do they do? They refuse. Their unwavering devotion to God put them in direct conflict with the king's demand. God had said years ago, no, commandment number two to the children of Israel wandering in the desert, given to, to Moses on Mount Sinai. Commandment number two is that we shall make no graven images. There should be no gods before the Lord. In the face of intense pressure, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego refused to compromise that belief. They refused to break that command. They were willing to face the consequences of following their faith rather than betraying God. And an unwavering commitment leads them to confronting, I'm sorry, to being confronted by the king. Nebuchadnezzar asked them about their refusal to bow and worship to his God and to the golden image that he just set up. And they refuse. When Nebuchadnezzar gives them one last chance to change their minds, before throwing them into the fiery furnace. I want you to hear what these three Hebrew children have to say. Hear the word of the Lord. This is Daniel chapter 3, verses 16 through 18. I'm going to read it from the New Living Translation. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied, O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you. 
If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God whom we serve is able to save us. What a response. He will rescue us from your power, your majesty. I love that. There's this confidence in these three Hebrew children that God is going to save us, but catch the rest of their message. But, but even if he doesn't, we want to make it clear to you, your majesty, that we will never serve your gods or worship your gold statue that you have set up. Wow. The Hebrew children don't have a plan B. They're not hedging their bets. Either God will save us or he will not, but either way, we belong to him. We trust him. We know he will deliver us. It's as if they're saying, Nebuchadnezzar, you think that you're the most powerful person, but make no mistake, the power of the God which we serve will make you look foolish. He will boggle your mind, and he will make you live in awe and wonder of this God that we serve. That is an unwavering commitment to persevere in the face of difficulty. They're not shaking in their boots trying to find a way out. They're not trying to rationalize some way of Well, Lord, listen, I know what your commandment says, but we were going to die. No, 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 no. They're committed in the face of hardship. They have an unwavering trust in God. They're persevering in the midst of unthinkable circumstances. Strike up the band. There's about to be a showdown because God will be exalted. And King Nebuchadnezzar, who has gotten too big for his britches, will be dethroned. You, no doubt, know the rest of the story. The furnace is heated to seven times the heat that it was previously at. It was so hot that those men who were leading Daniel's friends to the furnace were killed. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, being tied up and bound up, fell into the fire. But that was not the end for these three Hebrew children. As they were thrown into the furnace, King Nebuchadnezzar witnessed an incredible sight. Instead of perishing, instead of dying like the men who brought them to the fire, they were walking freely amidst the flames, unharmed and accompanied by the presence of God himself. The Hebrew children are called out of the fire, and Nebuchadnezzar, seeing the fire had not touched them, he stood in amazement. Scripture says their hair was not singed, their clothing was not scorched, and catch this, they didn't even smell like smoke. In fact, old King Nebuchadnezzar was so impressed that he praised God and threatens anyone in the kingdom will be torn limb from limb if they do not praise this God. If they say a word against this God, the people, regardless of where they're from, will be torn limb from limb. You see, it's easy for us to sit here and say, wow, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, they were so brave. But I believe if that's all we take away from this story, we miss the point. 
Because this morning, the same God who rescued these men, the God who showed up in the fiery furnace, rescued his people, is looking for people who also will forego the hardship of life and forego trying to figure out things for themselves, forego trying to hedge their bets. He's calling us to give up, throw out, utterly destroy the plan Bs of our lives. God is calling his people to live a life that is not committed to all the other things of the world, but committed to him and him alone. God is calling the church to live a life totally and completely wholeheartedly sold out to him. God is looking for people, students, non-students, who will persevere with this type of perseverance. A certainty in God's plan, with a resolve to be committed to God in the face of hardship, and an unwavering trust in God. Church, can I say to you this morning, that the same God who shows up in the Old Testament is the same God who showed up in Christ on Calvary's cross for you and I. It's the same God who showed up in the gift of the Holy Spirit that we'll celebrate next week on Pentecost. It's the same God who is calling the church to be sold out and committed to him. Graduating students, Moms, dads, grandparents, people of God, I need to ask you a question this morning. How committed are you to throwing out plan B in your life? How committed are you to the plans that God set for you? How committed are you even when times get tough? The old song used the words, though none go with me, still I will follow. Church, is that you this morning? You see, I remember being a senior in high school, though most of you would say that's been a long time ago, and it has been a few years. I felt God's plan upon my life, a call rather upon my life, and I had a plan. I had my plans. I knew what I wanted to do. I wanted to become an engineer. I was good at math. God had gifted me in that way. I had an interest in science. I didn't know how I would use it, but I was certain I could use those gifts for God's purpose. And I made a promise to God in an altar prayer. I said, Lord, if you'll let me become an engineer, if you'll give me the money to go to school, if you'll, if you'll guide my steps, I, I promise I'll be committed to going to the mission field and working for you building for you, using my skills for you. And God said to me, that's not what I'm interested in. I don't care about what your plan is. I'm calling you. Will you trust me? I remember thinking, Lord, what does that mean? Listen, you're not going to go to school to be an engineer. I'm calling you to the ministry. Lord, I, I can't imagine standing in front of people on a Sunday morning. It'd scare you to death. Somewhere along the way, those words of that little song kept playing. Though none go with me, still I will follow. Though none go with me, still I will follow. No turning back. No turning back. 
Church, do you have an unwavering trust in God? Not your ability, not in the government, the military, your mama, or your money. Do you trust God completely? Everything you have and everything you are. Church, it's time to give up our plans and trust God. Trusting God needs to be more than just printed on our money. It needs to be imprinted upon our heart. We must reflect the nature of faithfulness to God if the world is to ever see this God that we proclaim. We must develop patience in the midst of hardship. We must dive into prayer, meditate upon God's word, surround ourselves with a supportive community of love. God is calling us to a place of unashamed pursuit of who he is. So graduating students and church, if I could give you a gift, any gift in the world, it would be that kind of perseverance, the kind of perseverance that in a world in which is calling and vying for our attention, we're completely and wholeheartedly sold out to God. I want to close like this. The source is a bit shaky, but the story is told of an African man who lived maybe a century ago. And he was coerced either by his tribe or an outside group to renounce his faith in Jesus Christ. And rather than giving in, he wrote what is now called the Creed of the Fellowship of the Unashamed. This is a kind of creed for those of us who found our spiritual feed and have chosen to walk in God's Spirit. These words inspire a kind of boldness that seems to be lacking in our culture, but sorely needed. And while you may have heard this before, I challenge you this morning, right where you're at, just to close your eyes for just a second and hear it again as if you're hearing it for the first time. The fellowship of the unashamed. I'm a part of the fellowship of the unashamed. I have the Holy Spirit power. The die has been cast. I have stepped over the line. The decision has been made. I am a disciple of his. I will not look back, let up, slow down, or back away, or be still. My past is redeemed. My presence makes sense. My future is secure. I'm finished with low living, Sight walking, small planning, smooth knees, colorless dreams, tamed visions, worldly talking, cheap giving, and dwarfed goals. I no longer need preeminence, prosperity, position, promotions, applause, or popularity. I don't have to be right, first, tops, recognized, praised, regarded, or rewarded. I now live by faith. Lean on his presence, walk by patience. I am uplifted by prayer and labor in his power. My pace is set. My gate is fast. My goal is heaven. My road is narrow. My way is rough. My companions are few, but my guide is reliable and my mission is clear. I cannot be bought, 
compromised, detoured, lured away, turned back, deluded, or delayed. I will not flinch in the face of sacrifice, hesitate in the presence of adversity, negotiate at the table of the enemy, pander at the pool of popularity, or meander in the maze of mediocrity. I will not give up, shut up, let up until I stayed up, stored up, prayed up, paid up, preached up for the cause of Christ. I am a disciple of Jesus. I must go till he comes, give till, he, till I drop, preach till I'll know, work till he stops me. And when he comes for his own, he should have no problem recognizing me. My banner will be clear. Church, my hope, my prayer is that that would be so in your life and in mine.